You are listening to Synergistic Step Parenting Podcast with host Maria Nadipov, helping step parents transform family chaos into meaningful and harmonious co parenting. Hey, step parents. Today we're continuing our exploration of sex and intimacy by delving into polyamory with John Hawley a family law attorney and mediator and co-founder of Conscious Family Law and Mediation. We cover what polyamory is, how polyamory can improve an otherwise monogamous relationship, the benefits of utilizing a coach in your relationship, and how to approach and discuss polyamory with kids. John has an easy warmth about him, instantly making you feel comfortable. I feel honored that he offered to have this candid conversation and I'm thrilled to be sharing it with you all. John led us into his beautiful journey and courageous exploration of love, security, and connection. Get comfy and settle in for this amazing conversation that is sure to expand the way you think about relationships and trust. It'll be worth the listen. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce to you John Hawley, a Colorado licensed family law attorney and mediator. To guide people on their relationship journey, he draws on his professional skills, his training in mindfulness and healing practices, over 15 years under the tutelage of a master life coach, and 25 years of personal experience with marriage, divorce, and fatherhood. He attributes the long-running success of his second marriage to consistently taking the coaching from his mentor. He has significant personal experience with polyamory, spanning almost two decades in both of his marriages. Find the show notes for this episode at synergisticsandparenting.com forward slash 51. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. We are here with John Holly, who is a family lawyer and mediator. And we're so excited to have this conversation about polyamory and what that can bring to your, your consensual non-monogamous relationship. And John, we're just so excited to have this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us and being willing to have it. It's perfect timing because we've been talking a lot about sexuality and intimacy and what that looks like in society and how that impacts a lot of us who are a little bit of a different generation than the kids growing up today. And also, of course, how things are in a very exciting way changing for the younger generation and how we as adults caregivers, parents, step parents, and all the rest can support them on their journey and be courageous and invite these conversations to happen regularly. So this is very exciting to be able to talk to you about this topic. So welcome. Thanks, Maria. Glad to be here. Jumping right in. What is your personal story with polyamory? I'll try to keep it brief. I was, I've been married basically my entire adult life. And my first marriage was to somebody who were compatible in a lot of ways, but the basic chemistry in our relationship was not quite there. We met when we were pretty young. We were kind of more like a brother sister energy. So it's about like 11 years into our relationship together. We went to a sex therapist. We were trying to find a way to ignite something that would carry us forward. And through that process, we were invited to explore fantasies. And so we did. And one of the fantasies that we ended up sort of bringing into reality was opening our relationship to include other people. And we ended up inviting a man into the relationship with us. He was in the polyamorous lingo my wife was the pivot between the two of us. So he and I weren't intimate, but she was intimate with the two of us. And we were all very close and we sort of adventured together. And at some point we stumbled into a conversation that was happening at a festival we went to called Poly High Tea. And they were talking about polyamory and it was like, oh, 
okay, what we're doing, we thought was just playful endeavor that was mostly about physical play and sexuality, but actually it's okay that we're creating heart connections with each other or that my wife in that case was romantically involved, not just physically involved. So that was back in 2005. And that started my journey. I dove into online forums and read books and studied this thing, which felt like very new paradigm to me. Like there was something here that was a real up-leveling to relating in general. I mean, it required Mm -hmm. radical honesty. It required creating very conscious commitments with each other and agreements, things that a lot of people in a standard monogamous relationship feel like they don't have to do because it's like, oh, we're just monogamous and you're going to be faithful to me and there's nobody else in the picture. And we just rely on those structures so we don't have to develop our skills at relating as much. Mm. We use monogamy as a crutch to avoid some of that skill building. So that was how things got started. And it accelerated a process of my first wife and I separating. It revealed some things. My second marriage has been to a woman who is very naturally bisexual. So while it wasn't something that we needed to be polyamorous, but a full expression of her natural sexuality and attraction to both genders eventually led us into a a second iteration of this where she has a girlfriend now of three years who moved in with us for a period of time. And I know we'll talk a little bit about the connection to step-parenting because that's such an interesting, that's one of the reasons you and I started talking and how when these polyamorous families come together, not every polyamorous relationship has that level of long-term fidelitous or living together because these kinds of relationships can look like all kinds of different structures. But ours did turn into one where at least for a time, there were three adults living in the household and my wife and I have two kids and we're raising them. And so it was an interesting step-parent role that my wife's girlfriend stepped into. It's, it's an interesting relationship she has with my kids. She's almost like a big brother to my to my son and uh, maybe a little bit more of a parent type figure to my daughter. We don't all still live together, but that was because we needed a little bit more elbow room. To cap off my story, it continues to be a rich and evolutionary arc to continue to develop my ability to grow in the area of relationships and grow in my ability to be a mature person who expresses from my heart and increase the connection between my head and my heart. That's my own journey with it. That's been one of the big things that I've gotten out of it. I mean, that sounds amazing. And on the one hand, as you started to describe that, it sounds so exhilarating because you're right. You're removing the safety net of the assumptions. And it sounds like it is such a beautiful, thrilling, and I could see how terrifying (laughs) at times, at least in the beginning, maybe more so, because it would seem that from hearing you talk about it, that forces one to be completely aware. And that's not necessarily a skill we practice. And it's certainly not a skill that's societally encouraged for it often. So that's up to the individual to recognize and be willing to venture down that path. And then with that comes more clarity and the communication piece, as you mentioned, and being willing to be so brave to explore that and live that out, if you will. That just sounds incredible. And kudos to you for being willing to do that. It sounds like a magical thing for those who have different needs, that it's a wonderful opportunity to get all of them met and to have that full experience. And that's incredible that you are willing to do that for yourself, but also that you're so generously willing to support your partner and all of that. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And so the next question, 
how can exploring polyamory improve the relationship of otherwise monogamous couples? As I was saying, my second marriage started off largely monogamous, but it was the skills that I had acquired through that initial adventure into polyamory that was really helpful in being able to, again, find that level of honesty. We're building from like foundational levels of honesty. And so that's a piece because when we rely on monogamy as that crutch that I mentioned, it's like we tend to find ourselves get attracted to somebody. And then we say, well, I shouldn't do that. And I'm not going to tell my partner about that because that would freak them out. That would be scary. That would create jealousy, whatever. So I'm going to omit talking about that, but then wait a minute, they're probably attracted to somebody too. And they're not telling me that. So they're kind of lying about something too, that's foundational. There's some level of non-communication that's happening. So that's like these little cracks in our trust for each other. So when you can, even if you're not having multiple partners at the same time, if you're starting any new relationship from that foundational piece of honesty, like, yeah, I'm bisexual or yeah, I get attracted. And you know, that doesn't mean that I'm going to go have an affair with this person, but maybe we should just reveal that to each other and that's going to help discharge it. So that level of honesty is an amazing foundation for any relationship. And then one of the things that there's a great book that came out a couple of years ago that people in the polyamorous world are really excited about called Polysecure. And it's for people who have any awareness of attachment theory. This one's been kind of a game changer. And without getting into attachment theory, the thing that's powerful to borrow from polyamory, even if you're in a monogamous relationship, is finding a secure attachment to your partner that's not just based on the fact that we have a monogamous structure. Like we're married and the expectation is you're not going to go and fall in love with somebody else. Okay, well, you can rely on that, but if you can actually source feeling secure in your relationship, not just because I have a ring on my finger, but because, hey, I can trust that the other person, if they have attractions or whatever, they're going to reveal that to me. We're going to work it through. Speaking of my own experiences, I feel more secure with my wife now, having gone through this sort of second polyamorous exploration than I did when we were being monogamous, because it sort of tests those things and it requires us to we have a felt experience of you're with me, even though you have the freedom to love other people, you're with me because I'm really special to you and I can never be replaced. And it's not just because I have a ring on my finger. There's something really powerful about that mentality. And I call it releasing your grip on monogamy as the thing that you're holding on to that's making you feel safe. Mm. And when you let that go, you can find a feeling of safety that's like way more profound. It's so interesting. As you just said that you gave words to how I was feeling <laughs> for a really long time. And my partner and I talk about it a lot. And I always say it's not about the certificate or the ring or whatever the thing is. It's really every moment is a choice. And I'm super sensitive <laughs> to different shifts and connection. And in the past, he said, you need a lot of affirmation. I'm like, no, I'm checking in because I'm not going to take for granted that just because it was like that a week ago, <laughs> that you still feel the same way. So that's really beautiful. That concept of brutal honesty, societally, we think of it as a negative thing. Like anything that feels remotely, not instantly a perfect compliment. We automatically jump to like, oh no, there's a problem. And people's feelings are going to get hurt and avoid it at all costs. And it's this thing that, like you said, we have these thoughts, ideas, feelings, and we choke it back, pretend it's not there, avoid it. 
it. But the reality is when you speak about it and you give it voice, you have an opportunity to A, do something about it, meet the person where they're at. And I agree with you. It provides such beautiful freedom and growth opportunities. And I can understand how you're talking about this beautiful security that is beyond anything that conventionally we tend to think of security because it's true. It's like we can show up in our truth as our whole selves and we don't need to hide any aspect of what that looks like. And that's such a wonderful gift. So thank you for underscoring that so eloquently. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> My coach and mentor, he has a phrasing around this, encapsulates it too, is that if you view relationships as always a privilege and never a right, then that's a shorthand of what I was trying to explain. Yeah. It's like, you know, when we look at the ring on our finger and the roots of marriage are in property right. When we think <laughs> about it that way, like I have a right to you, I have a right to your love, I have a right to your sexuality, I have a right to spending time with you. That's kind of built in. And so you don't have to be polyamorous to make that shift yeah. to privilege. It's a privilege to be in relationship with you. It has nothing to do with polyamory, but polyamorous practice can yeah. make that real. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. Absolutely. Moving right along to the next question. How have you utilized a coach in your own relationship? So my wife had been working with a life coach from time before I met her. And then I had never heard of a life coach. This is back in 2006 when I met her. And when I met this man, he's so masterful in his ability to see you and hold a vision for you that even is not totally crystallized yet in your own mind. So that has been central for us ever since we got together. We take the most minor challenges to the biggest challenges. We take our challenges to him for third-party assistance who's not in the suit. He's got a whole objective perspective on us. He's holding the vision of our relationship for us. And he's taking a stand for that. And he's holding a vision for each of us as individuals too. So it's different than couples therapy because a, a coach, at least one that's working in that way, he's holding the vision for each person individually. As long as the relationship is serving that vision for the ongoing growth and evolution of each person, then he's also helping to support the relationship. If that were to change, He's not just supporting and holding a vision for the relationship, no matter what, it's only if it's really in service to the people. So that's been a really important piece for us to surrender to somebody who is, has this vision for our growth and evolution and helping us navigate the little ins and outs of things. When we get too stuck in something and we, he likes to call it 35,000 feet mm -hmm. as opposed to being like <laughs> your nose to the ground. So the coach can help bring your perspective back up to something that's much more high level and not just so stuck in whatever little things are going on for you in the moment. Yeah, that is so beautiful because it's funny. I was just thinking about that as I myself recently engaged some help with my stepdaughter because she's a teenager and things, <laughs> things change and they shift and they flow. And it was so interesting because I was reflecting and there's oftentimes this misconception that coaches, because they know they never face these same issues like everybody else. And it's like, no, we're all still human. <laughs> We just know the options. And most importantly, we can recognize when we need to get some help. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's you're so right because we're all in the situation. We're too close to it. We're tied to it. We have a huge stake in it. It's personal. We're invested. Whereas this individual is not. And therefore, like you said, they can hold that vision. They can often see it much clearer because they can see the whole thing that you're describing and bringing to the equation. And they can move you towards it because they're not as invested there. An impartial person who can see the whole picture and 
perfectly spoken about the 35,000 foot perspective. So absolutely spot on. I would love to hear you mentioned, obviously you're a lawyer and also you're part of this community and you've had your own experiences with polyamory. Could you give a little bit of advice, if you will, maybe, maybe some things to kind of consider and keep in the back of one's mind as they are exploring this, if they already have kids, or maybe they're thinking about having kids, but also still embarking on this new adventure, or if they're already exploring this or living this, you know, what can that look like? What are just some considerations that they need to make? And, and if anything, good advice, perhaps of what to do or how best to navigate trying to avoid issues in the future, and also making sure that things having to do with child rearing are child centered to support the kids and understanding what's going on and keeping those lines of communication open. I know that can get tricky. Mm, Yeah. It's really interesting terrain. As you say, my practice as a lawyer is guided by my passion for helping kids have positive environments to grow up in. So my primary work is as a mediator, helping folks to disentangle from a marriage legally. Most of my clients are parents. And so doing in a way that's conscious and holding the best interest to the kids, that's such a passion of mine. Your question was sort of multi-layered. Certainly there are horror stories out there around when people get into these alternative relationship structures and then a a parenting relationship breaks down and there's a custody dispute. Kids can be used as pawns. That happens in any, even a monogamous structure. Kids get used as pawns and it's really tragic. But in this particular area, because it's so new paradigm, people have well-founded concerns about how is a judge going to think about this if one person is continuing to live a polyamorous life, maybe and the other person's disavowing it. Those stories are out there and I don't want to scare anybody, but it's, it's something to know that until we are more firmly established in a new paradigm where the law recognizes these kinds of things. It is happening around the world where three parent families are now legal in some places and so forth. So I think we're heading in that direction. But even beyond the legal side of things, you asked about how to navigate the parenting journey and finding poly-informed therapists for your kids. We're lucky that the therapist that we have for our kids is very versed in polyamory. And so she's able to help us in that and not be judgmental. But because this is something that you will find people who just don't understand it or can't tolerate it or something. I would say the first thing is to get informed and read books. One of the books I read early on was by a therapist herself named Deborah Annapole, who has unfortunately passed on, but she did a lot of research on children who had grown up in poly families who were now adults and interviewed them, talked to them about their experiences growing up. And that chapter in her book was revelatory to me because the kids are all right. And a lot of them were kind of like, oh, I didn't even really know what my parents were up to. I didn't really care. And obviously different families will be different, but age appropriate openness is the way we've navigated it with our kids. Like when, when JJ first moved in with us, my wife's girlfriend, at first the relationship was still fairly new. And so we said, she's mommy's good friend and, and she's renting a room in our house. And then over the ensuing months, we brought them more in, in an mm-hmm. age appropriate way to the picture. For my daughter, who was only seven at that time, it initiated some great conversations about sex because we had to explain some things about the relationship. And then I was like, okay, well, here's more context about that. It's been largely beautiful for our family to to be in touch about these sensitive issues that demand to be talked about. It's right there. And so getting informed that mostly kids need to know that they're cherished and that they're prioritized. It doesn't matter what the family structure looks like. So hopefully you can get yourself informed. You can find poly-informed therapists and lawyers if you need them, because there's just not yet a lot of models around. It's still a bit of a pioneering adventure. So you're going to be 
learning as you go and getting equipped with as much knowledge and resources as you can. Hopefully that was a mix of a cautionary tale about being careful as you get into these kinds of things. Because what we don't have, at least in this country, is generally speaking, an easy way for somebody who has become a parent figure to necessarily have legal rights to continue to be in a child's life if a breakup occurs. That happens in monogamous relationships where there's step-parent figures, sometimes grandparents get cut out of the picture. And the law, family law, one of the reasons I work in this area is because it's such a progressive area of the law. It's constantly evolving very quickly and tries to keep up with the culture. So increasingly psychological parents, as we call it in the law, have more rights to remain in contact with kids. But the law does still move slower than the culture for the most part. And those are things to be aware of. But certainly parenting within a new paradigm or polyamorous kind of environment has a lot of a rich benefit to spreading around some of the parenting obligations across multiple adults can be a really beautiful thing. JJ takes my son out on her one wheel and does things with him that I would never do. And it can be similar to larger extended families, which is something yeah. that growing up as an only child, I embrace that larger family. Yeah. Me. Yeah. I love that. Just from hearing you talk about it, it sounds a lot like co-parenting and blended family situations where there are step-parents who might be entering the picture. So yeah, suddenly the child is exposed to new experiences and, and or perspectives and has an opportunity for richer learning or knowledge or experiences <laughs> through that, which sounds fantastic. And then I believe what I heard you say about how to keep things child-centric and support kids in those situations, it sounds like essentially keep it conflict-free. That's really the key and the top priority and at the consensus for anybody going through a divorce as well, finding themselves in a co-parenting situation. The real key is just like you said, the kids feel loved, supported, secure, prioritized, and that the conflict is, if not eliminated, kept to the absolute minimum. <laughs> yeah, certainly destructive kind of conflict. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. An interesting nuance in my family has been, there are a lot of emotions that can mm-hmm. come up. And sometimes speaking for myself, it's easy to want to like hide that away. Yeah. And at some point, I can't remember if it was our, our kids therapist or our coach who was like, and maybe it was both of them that sort of said, you know what, you really just need to be, don't hide that away. The kids know. And so having more openness, even around the emotional kinds of conversations, that was an interesting journey for us to go on was to like, we're going to stay at the kitchen table and talk through this and express yes. and give kids the, show them the full spectrum of, of human emotion. And I'm not talking about throwing <laughs> pots and pans at each other, yeah. something like that, you know, that's, yeah, yeah. that's different. I don't know exactly, but it sounds to me like what you're talking about is mod modeling how to navigate through challenging situations that definitely have high emotional stakes and showing that being upset or being angry or what have you, or sad that that's all part of the human experience. And that's perfectly healthy. No shame or guilt around that. To me, that's beautiful. And again, kudos to you for being so open with your kids, because that takes a lot of guts. A lot of us, we're never quite sure how those conversations are going to go and where they're going to lead and how quickly they're going to get resolved. Like it, it could feel really scary because at least least when you're navigating most conversations with your child, be they around sex or what have you around, you know, difficult things. Most of the time, at least there's the option to take a pause and do whatever you need to do to get yourself prepared to sort of wrap your mind a little bit around how this is going to go and what you're going to do to chart that course, but to do that on the fly and still invite them in. That's incredible. And your kids are so lucky to be privy to that and to have all of that normalized and to see that it's okay. (laughs) And that's the 
main message, right? It's like, even when things feel really scary, the communication there is that it's okay. It doesn't mean that we don't love you. We still love you and we're going to be okay. We're still going to be here. Yeah. Making sure they know that if relationships do end, our relationship with them is never ending. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful. Perfect. Well, thank you again. This was such a wonderful and rich conversation and I really appreciate that you were willing to have it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Maria. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Take care. Talk soon. Thank you so much for joining us for this deep dive into polyamory. John was fantastic at eloquently describing the complex and heady concepts of polyamory. This conversation blew my mind and smashed through the ceiling of how I viewed relationships until now. To recap, we discussed what polyamory is, how exploring polyamory can improve an otherwise monogamous relationship, the benefits of utilizing a coach in your relationship, and how to approach and discuss polyamory with kids. It's clear John is very knowledgeable and passionate about law and polyamory and loves to support individuals to help them find the best situation that's right for them. To that end, John is kicking off a weekly online coaching group for people exploring polyamory or consensual non-monogamy. It launches on September 8th, 2022. Find the link for it in the show notes under links to John. It will be fantastic. I, of course, have some action items for you. If you're interested in learning more about polyamory, check out the books that John mentioned. Find those links in the show notes under episode resources. And be sure to check out John's links below, including his program, which will be a killer resource for you on your polyamorous journey, whether you're a beginner or a veteran. And then shoot me a DM on LinkedIn at Synergistic Step Parenting or on Facebook at Maria Natapov to let me know your biggest takeaways from this episode and share them with your bestie, partner, and child to make sure the info sticks. Until next time, my friends, be well. Thanks for tuning into Synergistic Step Parenting Podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite streaming platform so you don't miss a thing. If you like what you hear and you find the information helpful, please rate us five stars and leave a review letting us know what you like about the show on Apple Podcast. Don't know how? Don't worry. We'll include instructions in the show notes. And if you know of other step parents who can benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them. John Swain did our theme music. Thanks, John. <laughs>